Chapter Twenty One of the Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Carew remained some time at Bickley, but fresh news arriving every day of the progress of the rebels, that insatiable curiosity which had always actuated his breast prompted him to go and see the army of the rebels. He therefore, taking his leave of his wife and daughter, though they entreated him with tears not to go to the north, made the best of his way towards Edinburgh. After some days' travel Mr. Carew arrived at the city of Edinburgh, which lies in a sort of valley between two hills, one of which is called Salisbury Crags, the other marks the foundation of the castle. It is strongly walled, and is adorned with public and private buildings. At the extremity of the east end of the city stands the palace of Holyrood House, leaving which, a little to the left, you come through a populous suburb to the entrance called the Waterport. From hence, turning west, the street goes on in a straight line through the whole city to the castle, which is above a mile in length, and is said by the Scots to be the largest and finest street for buildings and number of inhabitants in Europe. From the palace door, which stands on a level with the lowest of the plain country, this street begins to ascend very gradually, being nowhere steep. But this ascent being continued for so long a way, it is easy to understand that the furthest part must be necessarily very high, for the castle, which stands as it were at the extremity, west as the palace does east, makes on all sides that only excepted which joins it to the city a frightful and inaccessible precipice the castle is situated on a high rock and strongly fortified with a great number of towers so that it is looked upon as impregnable in the great church they have a set of bells which are not rung out as in england for that way of ringing is not now known in this country but are played on by the hand with keys like a harpsichord the person playing having great leather covers for his fists which enables him to strike with the more force and for the larger bells there are treadles which he strikes with his feet they play all manner of tunes very musically and the town gives a man a yearly salary for playing upon them from half an hour after eleven till half an hour after twelve every day sundays and holidays excepted on the south side of this church is a square of very fine buildings called the parliament close the west and south side of which are mostly taken up with the parliament house and several courts of justice the council chamber the exchequer the public registers the lawyer's library the post office etc the great church makes up the north side of the square and the east and part of the south side is built into private dwellings very stately lofty and strong being seven stories high to the front of the square and the hill that they stand on having a very deep descent some of them are no less than fourteen stories high backwards holyrood house is a very handsome building rather convenient than large it was formerly a royal palace and an abbey founded by king david the first for the canons regular of st austin who named it holyrood house or the house of the holy cross which was destroyed by oliver cromwell but nobly re-edificed by king charles the second and of which his grace the duke of hamilton is hereditary keeper it is now almost entirely neglected 
the entrance from the great outer court is adorned with pillars of hewn stone under a cupola in form of an imperial crown balustrated on every side at the top the forepart has two wings on each side of which are two turrets that toward the north was built by king james v whose name it bears in letters of gold and that towards the south as well as the rest by charles the second whereof sir william bruce was the architect the inner court is very stately all of freestone well hewn with a colonnade around it from whence are entries into the several apartments but above all the long gallery is very remarkable being adorned with the pictures of all the scotch kings from fergus the first done by masterly hands here mr carew met the rebels but having no mind to join them he pretended to be very sick and lame however he accosted them with god bless you noble gentlemen and the rebels moving on to carlisle he hopped after them and from thence to manchester and there had a sight of the pretender's son and other commanders he afterwards accompanied them to derby where a report was spread that the duke of cumberland was coming to fight them upon which their courage failing though the pretender's son was for fighting they retreated back to carlisle upon which he thought it time to leave them and hopped homeward on his crutches taking care to change his note to god bless king george and the brave duke william coming into bristol he met with one mr p an apothecary who had formerly known him at st mary ottery in devon mr p was very glad to see him and took him to a tavern where he treated him very handsomely and then sent for his wife sister and other friends to come and see him they were all highly pleased to see a man they had heard so much talk of and after spending some hours very merrily with him they would have him to try his fortune in that city but to take care of the mint accordingly he went to a place of rendezvous of the brothers of the mendicant order in temple street equipped himself in a very good suit of clothes and then went upon the exchange as the supercargo of a ship called the dragon which had been burnt by lightning off the lizard point by this story he raised a very handsome contribution on the merchants and captains of vessels it being well known that such a ship had been burnt in the manner he described he then returned to his friend mr p the apothecary and knocking at the door asked if he was at home upon which mr p came forth and not knowing him again in his supercargo's dress made him a very low bow and desired him to walk in mr carew asked him if he had any fine salve as he had met with an accident and burnt his elbow upon which mr p ran behind his counter and reached down a pot of salve desiring with a great deal of complacence the favour of looking at his elbow he then discovered himself which occasioned no little diversion to mr p and his family who made him very welcome going back to his quarters he laid aside his finery and dressed himself more meanly like to a labouring mechanic he then went into the street and acted like a madman talking in a raving manner about messrs whitfield and wesley as though he was disordered in his mind by their preaching calling in a furious manner at every step upon the virgin mary punctious pilate and mary magdalene and acting the part of a man religiously mad 
Sometimes he walked with his eyes fixed upon the ground, and then of a sudden he would break out into some passionate expressions about religion. This behavior greatly excited the curiosity and compassion of the people, some of whom talked to him, but he answered everything they said in a wild and incoherent manner, and as compassion is generally the forerunner of charity, he was relieved by the most of them. The next morning he appeared in a morning gown, still acting the madman, and carried it so far now as to address himself to all the posts in the streets as if they were saints, lifting up his hands and eyes in a fervent though distracted manner to heaven, and making use of so many extravagant gestures that he astonished the whole city. Going through Castle Street he met the Reverend Mr. B-C, a minister of that place, whom he accosted with his arms thrown round him, and insisted in a raving manner he should tell him who was the father of the morning star, which frightened the parson so much that he took to his heels and ran for it, he running after him till he took shelter in a house. Having well recruited his pockets by this stratagem, he left the city next day, and travelled towards Bath, acting the madman all the way till he came to Bath. As soon as he came there, he inquired for Dr. Cooney's, and being directed to his house, found two brother mendicants at the door. After they had waited some time, the servant brought each of them a halfpenny, for which his brother mendicants were very thankful, but Mr. Carew gave his halfpenny to one of them, then knocking at the door, and the maid coming out again, tell your master, said he, I am not a halfpenny man, but that my name is Bamfield Moore Carew king of the mendicants, which being told the doctor came out with one of his daughters, and gave him sixpence and a mug of drink, for which he returned thanks. The next day he went to Mr. Allen's seat near Bath, and sent in a petition as from a poor lunatic, by which he got half a crown. From thence he made the best of his way to Shepton Mallet, when calling at Mr. Hooper's, and telling the servant who he was, the mistress ordered him in, and inquired if he was really the famous Bamfield Carew. She then gave him five shillings, and ordered him to be well entertained. At Shepton Mallet our hero had the pleasure of meeting with his beloved wife, to their mutual joy and satisfaction, and finding several brethren of the order there, they passed some days together with much mirth and harmony going near Rye in Sussex, where, upon account of their extraordinary merit, the two brothers L-D are perpetually mares, he met two of his mendicant subjects, who acquainted him there was no entering the town, but with extreme hazard to his person, upon account of the severity which the mare exercised towards all of their community. Mr. Carew's wife, hearing this, entreated him in the most tender manner not to venture into the town, but as his great heart always swelled when anything hazardous presented, and as he was willing to show his subjects by example that nothing was too difficult for industry and ingenuity to overcome, he was resolved to enter Rye, which he did with a very slow, feeble, and tottering pace stopping every minute by the most violent fits of coughing, whilst every limb shook with an universal palsy, his countenance appearing rather to be the property of some one among the dead than to belong to any living body. In this manner he crept along to the mare's house, 
and in a most lamentable moan begged some relief the mare seeing so deplorable a figure said he was indeed a real object of pity and therefore gave him a shilling and liberty to go through the town which he did with no little profit and with great applause from the mendicants when they heard of his success steering from thence to dungeness he found a vessel ready to sail for boulogne on board of which he embarked and landed safe there and found it so thronged with english soldiers it being soon after the reducing of the army that had he not known the contrary he should have thought himself in some town in england some of the soldiers knowing him cried out here's bamfield more carew upon which they took him along with them to their quarters and they passed the day very merrily the soldiers expressed great discontent at their being discharged swearing they would never come over to england any more saying if they had not come over then they should have been either starved or hanged he then inquired how they lived in france they replied never better in their lives from boulogne he set off for calais where he likewise found a great multitude of english soldiers and more were daily coming in whilst he was there the duke of richmond arrived in his way to paris who seeing many english soldiers asked some of them why they came there to which they replied they should have been either starved or hanged if they had stayed in england mr carew intended to have paid his respects to his grace but had not an opportunity and soon after being taken very ill was obliged to desist from his intended design of making a tour through france germany etc he therefore took a passage in the packet-boat from calais and landed at dover from hence he went to folkestone where he got a pass and relief from the mayor under the name of john moore a native of st ives in cornwall who had been cast away on the coast of france in a vessel coming from ireland having borne this character as long as suited his inclination he metamorphosed himself again and appeared in quite a different shape he now wore a full handsome tie wig but a little changed by age a good beaver hat somewhat duffy a fine broadcloth coat but not of the newest fashion and not a little faded in its colour he was now a gentleman of an ancient family and good estate but reduced by a train of uncommon misfortunes his venerable looks his dejected countenance the visible struggles between the shame of asking and the necessity which forced him to it all operated to move the pity of those he applied to which was generally shown by handsome contributions for few could think of offering mites to a gentleman of so ancient a family and who had formerly lived so well and indeed how much soever we may envy the great in their prosperity we are as ready to relieve them in their misfortunes End of chapter twenty one